0: be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Worship team. So sensitive to the spirit of God. I appreciate it. Here we are in the house of God. Here we are. If you're a guest, if you've never been here, welcome. And you can text guest into the number that you're going to see on the screen. I told myself I wasn't going to look at the screen today. And, um, We'll get some information to you. We we just want to know how we can best serve you and minister to you and help you grow up in Jesus. This is a good place. This is a good place to plant your lives. This is also the time that we take tithes and offerings. And on the screen, it's going to come up where you can text give. It did. There, There it is. And if you're, if you're like me and you still write checks because I have like a gazillion checks to use up, there's little boxes in different places in the, in the building you can slip your check in and it will do it the old-fashioned way. So let's pray over the tithes and offerings. Lord, thank you. Oh, God, we can't thank you enough for all that you give us. What we give you seems so puny. But God, you magnify it and you use it to further your kingdom. And God, that's our purpose. We want want our lives to be changed in your pocket, to be spent on you and for the lives of those around us. Father, bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't think there's any announcements. I don't think I forgot anything. Keep feeling that wind blowing over you as we welcome Pastor
1: Matt. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Yeah. That sounds like you guys are doing a good day. Well, we're going to actually today, we're going to be honoring graduates, people who have graduated. Um, and uh, actually, I'm just going to turn it over to my lovely wife and let her. I got
2: is this still on? Okay, perfect. So we have a, quite a few uh, students that are graduating from high school and every year, I know, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Let's yeah. give them a round of applause. Yeah. These students were right smack in the middle of the pandemic. So congratulations for them for pulling it together, <laughs> learning online skills, making it work. But So we're gonna call your name and um, if you'll just come on up on the stage and line up, we got a little card for you. This is in no particular order. They didn't know I was gonna call them on stage today. So they're like, oh, as, as true high school form is. Uh, Anjali uh, Sorbello, are you here, Anjali? Okay, so we'll send hers. Yes, give her a round of applause. Oh, she is here! Yeah, come on. (laughs) Cameron Gabaldoni, Cameron, come on up. Chloe Bryson. Mina Gentry. The tallest niece I have. Rebecca Bryson, Sean Burns, did you say Sean's working? Oh, oh, Sean's hiking, (laughs) that's all right. And then we have one special college graduate that we don't want to forget about, Berto Venegas. Where are you, Berto? Oh, yeah. Come on, Birdo, you you did the pandemic too. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Just tell them how much we love them and appreciate them. Just reach your hand out. We're going to pray for them real quick. Lord, we just pray that you would bless these students as they move forward in whatever their next step is. God, we thank you for their endurance. We thank you for their patience, for their fortitude. We thank you, God, that they made it through to this amazing accomplishment. We pray that you just bless them and their families in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, guys. One more applause as they leave.
1: Congratulations, guys. Fantastic. Oh, man. Isn't that awesome? So on June 5th, um, we actually have a young adults night, so everybody just standing up here, you just graduated high school, you're welcome to come. And so we have a young adults night, we're going to go through, uh, it's on June 5th, it's at my house, uh, I think we're starting around 7pm, anyhow, we're going to have the grill going, we've got the pool going, it's going to be a fun grilling, pooling party. So if, uh, and it's not if you feel young, you actually have to be young, so... I know, everybody here is like, I feel amazing. That's right, yeah. So if it's kind of a, a graduated high school through about 30 years old is kind of what we're looking at. And so if you're in that age bracket, we'd love to gather together. We're just going to have a great time, eat, eat some food, get some burgers, maybe swim, and just have a great day. Uh, so that is Sunday, uh, June 5th, about 7 p.m. Put it in your phone now. Put it in your phone now. All right, today I'm going to start on a brand new series, and it's called Skin Deep. Skin deep. And so I want to talk, we're going to talk about this idea of sometimes we look at the surface of things, but there's actually more to it underneath the surface. My dad used to say, beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes clean to the bone. <laughs> so starting this series, and, and I think we typically assess people by what we see on the outside. You know, you have seven seconds to make a great first impression. Seven. And that's from the time they can first see you. So if you're walking across a parking lot and you wave and they're coming up, the clock started already. And within seven seconds, they've already made a determination if they want to be your friend or not. If they like you or if they don't. And so everything going on from, from the second they can catch a glimpse of you. When you call somebody on the phone, it's the first seven seconds that matter. The first seven seconds is the first impression. So here's what we do. We really focus on developing our exterior, right? Like, isn't that what we do? I do. I mean, obviously, I'm a pinnacle of, of handsomeness, and my exterior is, like, very impressive. But, um, and I look around our church, and I, and I see so many beautiful, amazing, impressive people. In fact, I've said this before. I'll say it again. We may not be the biggest church in town, but we are the best looking. Can I get an amen? That's right. Why don't you tell your neighbor you're good looking? That's right. That's right. curb appeal is an interesting thing if if you're trying to buy or sell a house they talk a lot about curb appeal the last time I was buying a house my wife and I were driving around and there were houses on our list that we were trying to go look at and there were times we would pull up on the outside of the house we would take one look at it and be like no I don't like the way it looks on the outside I'm not even going to go into the inside doesn't matter how nice the inside is Of course, nowadays, everything is on Zillow and websites and Realtor.com, and and you can get all the pictures that you want um, just at a flick of a finger, which is a different game today. But however, traditionally, curb appeal has been a major influencer if you're trying to sell your house. Curb appeal, curb appeal, one glance, and you have a very solid idea of what you want. So sometimes us as people, especially in American culture, we can focus a lot on our outside but neglect to cultivate our inside. Many of you guys know this, but I, uh, I own a home inspection company. And uh, sometimes we come across house flippers. Our inspectors will come across house flippers that have flipped a house. And, and you watch these shows on HGTV. And they come in and they, they put beautiful carpet down, nice tile. They, 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 they put in, you know, granite countertops. And it all looks so good and it all matches. Buyers are lined up around the block in bidding wars to buy these houses. But then what they don't do is they neglect some of the things that you don't see that make a big difference. Because that doesn't sell the house. Because if the carpet is old but the furnace is new, eh. But if the carpet is new and the furnace is old, well, you don't know that, do you? There's a lot of things that you can't tell about that house by looking at the curb. When you're at the curb you can look and say it's nicely manicured the landscaping looks nice and clean but you don't know what's going on inside how old is the air conditioning system does that house have radon in it how about mold is there anything in the sewer line do i need a sewer scope you, you, you have to do a little bit of investigation sometimes sometimes these houses are lipstick on a pig There is a verse, and I think it's Proverbs. I didn't pull, it's just coming off my head. I don't remember the reference, but it says beauty is like a gold, sna- a gold ring in the snout of a pig. Right? That gold ring is awfully pretty, but it's attached to something that's not so pretty. You can't see on the street if it has radon. So what do you do? Well, you get a home inspection. And that's where my company comes in. We come in and we, we evaluate everything and we tell you what the condition of the roof is. Because you don't know when you're looking at the street. And let's be honest, 95% of you, even if you were standing on the roof, you wouldn't know what you're even looking at, if that roof is in good condition or not. And you go in and you look at your furnace and you're like, you flip the switch and it kicks on and you're like, I don't know, looks good to me. But you don't understand the underlying issues that are, that are lurking beneath the surface. So you hire a professional and they come in and give you the condition of the, of the HVAC system and the roof. And there's a lot of information you can get from that. But you know what's not in the home inspection? What's not in the home inspection is every Saturday night, two doors down, they throw a raging kegger, and the party music bumps so loud it shakes your windows until 1 a.m. every single weekend. That's not found in any kind of home inspection report, is it? There's lots of things not found. It was built on an old Indian burial ground, and your family's going to have generational curses now because of where this house is located. (coughs) After work, when people come home, there's so many cars, it packs the street. When we were there, it was empty. But you know, there's so many angles to look at at home. Anybody who's tried to buy a house or has bought a house, the process is complicated, isn't it? There's a lot of factors. That's why realtors make good money, because they navigate this crazy jungle of all these different things, and they have to be experts in so many areas to help you navigate through the, journal, the jungle to get the house that you're trying To buy shout out to all my realtor friends some of which are in the building don't make me pick one for you they're all (laughs) the same in here (laughs) only the best of the best that's right there are multiple angles to look at a home like the appraiser he comes and looks at the value of the house the title company is looking at the legal issues that may be associated with that home to understand, are there any legal liens or or property issues or ownership rights issues on the property? The home inspection looks at the systems and the condition. The seller's disclosure gives you a glimpse into the history of what the current sellers know is there, and they're legally required to disclose certain things. But you also have to do your own research. And no matter how much research you do, and no matter how many professionals you hire, there will always be surprises when you're buying a house, always, because not yet nobody has the perfect picture of the entire home. You open up a wall behind the sheetrock, you find all kinds of mysteries back there. and Nobody else opened that wall, so they have no idea what's behind the sheetrock. They've made guesses and determinations maybe, but you move in and then you realize something is a little bit funny here and a little bit funny here. You can't remove all the risk. I see heads nodding from people who are like, yep, yep. (laughs) So how do we, in this world, deal with people who are pretty on the outside but ugly on the inside? How do we deal with people who look healthy on the outside but they're broken on the inside? And... This morning I'm gonna talk about this idea, and, and I say this from a place that that you gotta fully understand that every one of us has some brokenness inside of us. Except for me, I'm the pastor. But every one of us has brokenness inside of us. We all have a little bit of stuff that's broken. And so here we are, humans gathered together in a building as a church, interacting with each other, and we think, oh, well, church is going to, there aren't going to be any broken people at church. Hello, this place is a hospital for the sick, because I don't know about you, but I'm just as sick as anybody else in the room. All I did is I found where the the food is at. I found where the medicine is at, and that's Jesus. And so we, we, we gather together, and so even in a congregation like this, you will find people who are messed up and broken. And if you hang out with me long enough, you'll see what I'm messed up and broken in. You know, we, we all have this. We're all human. We all fall short. But God's grace is sufficient to cover all of this. And so we have to be a people and a church that, that in relationships with friends and coworkers and bosses and parents and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and, and siblings and, and all of our relationships, we got to be in a place where we understand that I have broken this, you have broken this. But what we're going to do is cover each other with grace and work through it. But you got to find a way to deal with it, don't you? you got to find a way to help work with it, don't you? And so today we're looking at how do you deal with difficult people without becoming ugly yourself. Because that's the temptation, isn't it? Because we have that ugly side. And when somebody is difficult to us, there's something in us that rises up, doesn't it? It rises up and we're like, I'm going to show them. And it's not your proudest moment. But you kind of feel good about it afterwards, don't you? Like, I gave him a piece of my mind, and it was awesome. I was doing some research on this topic, and, uh, and, and I was looking at people who are mean to others versus people who are kind to others. People who do kind things for other people. And, and the, the study that I was looking at was five times per week. If five times per week you do something selfless and kind to another person, it not only benefits another person, but it actually benefits yourself. So if you do more than five, then these numbers would go up. But, but at five times per person, they say that you're going to live longer. Wow. That you have a happier life. In fact, if the five, things per, five nice things a week was 41% happier on average than people who did less than five nice things per week. What about when doing a kind thing to somebody else seems wrong? Like that person doesn't deserve it? What about doing a kind thing for that person who's always ugly towards you? You know, like that, those are the ones that are the hardest, I would say. Like when someone else is kind and you're like, I just want to bless them, I just, they're so great, I want to just love on them, and those are easy. But what about the person who's intentionally not nice to you? I mean, the Bible talks about turning the other cheek and things of that nature. What do we do with those people? You see, if we're not careful, we can become difficult and ugly people too. And that's not the way God designed us to live. He designed us to live in a place of optimism and, 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 and positivity and faith. And, and a place where we're, we have joy and strength. Fruits of the Spirit start coming out in a way that like, we live this life that is happy and satisfied and, and fulfilling. If we're not careful, we, if we're surrounded by these people, they can rub, us, rub off on us. They can influence us to also become difficult and ugly people. This is where you start to see generational issues. My mom was this way, so now I'm this way. My grandfather did this to my dad, my dad did this to me, and now guess what? I'm becoming just like him, and now I'm going to do this to my kids. You start to see generational cascading down of ugliness on top of ugliness. Why? Because you're surrounded with it, and you see that stuff rubbing off on you. You can change. You don't have to pass on the ugly. It's it, Your default mode will be to pass on the ugly that was handed to you. So you've got to find a way. How do you do it? How do you, how do you, you don't have to. And for your kid's sake and your grandkid's sake and even, you can break the cycle that's been plugging your family for generation after generation. You don't have to do that anymore. I don't know if I have the strength. You know what? Here's what I know is the God that's in me is greater than this world. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can help you break the cycles of your generational issues in your family. You don't have to live that way anymore. It requires humility. It requires submitting yourself to God and saying, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. Jesus, help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me be able to to get past this. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be difficult? Yeah. But you know what? God wants to lead you in this path to break the cycle. So I just want to empower you just to, to encourage you to break the cycle. If we don't address and fix the ugly in us, we will pass it on to other people. You know what? I don't want to pass my ugly on to other people. I don't want to pick up other people's ugly and carry it with me either. And we all have it. We've got to find healing from it. We know the great healer. Today we're going to look at, at a passage in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 16 and then 1 Samuel 18 well 18 and then 16 cuz they did it backwards first Samuel 18 and, and and we're we're looking at David who was king David he wasn't king at the time he was a young David and on this young David is is uh, interacting with Saul who is the king and it says as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul the son of Jonathan was or sorry the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him at his own as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent sent him over the men of the war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. This was the change where, where David's life shifted. Previous to this he was kind of going home and doing you know um, stuff at, at the, um, the castle, not the castle, the, the palace. Yeah sorry the, the palace. I'm like in Disney mode or something. Yeah. <laughs> So the, in the palace, so between the palace and his house, he's kind of going back and forth. And, and this is the, kind of the point where Saul was like, "Nah, I kind of want you here full time. And they have this, um, like they're becoming friends and they become best friends and stripping their robes and armors and swords and bows. It's like weird to us, isn't it? It's like they, they should have, like today I would just say like they just both went to Hobby Lobby. They picked out some string and made each other a friendship bracelet, you know. Went down to Claire's, got the two necklaces, says best friends with the heart that's broken in the middle, and they can stick it, you know. They, They like, they did something like that. That would have been culturally traditional. So now they're best friends. Jonathan is the king's son. David is the king's servant. But secretly, unbeknownst to some other people, David has already been anointed to be the next king by Samuel the prophet. So David knows Uh, the Lord's picked me to be the next king. But like, really, like a handful of people know. Hardly anybody knows. And they're like, man, we got to keep this a secret. Because if the current king knows that this guy is going to be the next king, things uh, could get ugly. Things got ugly anyway. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, and this is talking about David and Goliath, where he went and killed the giant, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and musical instruments. So they just won this battle, basically. David went out, picked up the rocks, remember those, the five rocks, puts them in the sling, knocks one dude out. He had four more because Goliath had four brothers, and he thought, maybe they'll get mad. And, you know, and so I got to, like, you know, keep slaying them down, you know, and, and then have, like, a whole pile of bodies. And, and, uh, and so he's, so, you know, they're now they're, they've won this battle the whole country's celebrating. The whole nation's celebrating. They're coming back. Like triumphant soldiers are like, we won, you know. And, and, and so they're really excited about this thing. And so they're coming back home and everybody's singing. And the, and the women are out in the street singing over the people. They're like some theme song they came up with, you know. And the women sang to one another as they celebrate. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul, being the current king was a little bit angry at that. And this saying displeased him and he said, "They have ascribed to David 10,000s and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can you know, can he have but the kingdom?" And Saul eyed David from that day on. Have you ever been in a leadership position like that? Maybe middle management. You're working at a job and you do something wildly successful, more successful than your boss has ever done. And if your boss is not a great boss, they get a little bit jealous of you and they wanna put you down and they wanna take credit for the work that you did and not give any to you because they're afraid that you being under the boss is gonna to get too much credit and they're gonna lose their position and their authority. Anybody ever been in that position? Yep, yep, yep. Or you've seen it on TV, I'm sure. It's a great movie. But you know, you, you see this place. So if you're a bad leader, or an insecure leader, you would do that. You would get really upset with somebody on your team doing so well that it maybe put the spotlight on them instead of you for a few minutes. A good leader would say, yeah, that's right. David's one of my mighty men. Wait until you see the rest of the guys I've been working on. He learned all this stuff from me. Yeah. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm delegating. So I'm not taking as much. I'm just delegating all the you know, I would have kid, killed 10,000, but, you know, like, give the kid a shot, you know. And I kind of gave him my 9,000 to kind of boost him up a little bit, you know. Gave him the, the fresh leads, the sales leads, so he can, you know, close some deals and, you know. Like, if you were a wise leader, you would celebrate with the person that is on your team that the nation of Israel just won. But he's not. Saul, Saul's insecure, and he's struggling in this area. Verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God... "'Rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house "'while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. "'Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, "'for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. "'But David evaded him twice. "'Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, "'but had departed from Saul.' So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. So David is trying to be helpful, and he gets punished for it. One of the the perks of killing Goliath, if you're familiar with the story, the King Saul said, anybody who kills Goliath, and he gave kind of a list, you know, no taxes, you know. I'll take that. I might kill a man for that. The I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. It's not real. <laughs> They'll put that clip somewhere on the internet. Yeah, so that pastor said he'd kill a man. And so <laughs> I don't know why my brain goes there. I'm tired. I was on a busy week. So, you know, so you get no taxes, but you also get to marry the king's daughter. Right, That was another one, and I don't know if he had good-looking kids or not, but, but the status that comes with that when you're now moved into the royal family through marriage, there's a lot of status and, and, and honor that goes along with that. Um, and there's other things, but he's able to marry a daughter, but David is not being given the royal treatment, is he? He is, uh, he is being, well, I don't know, the, the UK royals have been kicking people out lately, so maybe he's getting the royal treatment. It's, it's funny, you look at um, Saul, it says the Spirit of, of God was left Saul and went to David. You guys, we live in an era that's post-Jesus, which means the Holy Spirit's available to every single one of us. right? right. Oh, yeah. right like be, In the Old Testament, that wasn't the case. Right. In fact, you read through and you see the Spirit of God was on this person. Sometimes just for a certain act, sometimes for a short season. Or, or, and some people seem to have that uh, uh, you know, associated with them and some didn't. So for whatever reason, some people had the Holy Spirit on them, the Spirit of God on them, and some people didn't. Some people had it and it went away. But we have 24-7 access, every single one of us, because of that. Like, like that's something that's, that's pretty good. We should be pretty grateful for what we have in that area, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us all the time. I think it was in, uh, Jesus that said, many godly men and women did not get the opportunity that we have, that, that many very godly people before us, people who are more godly than you and I, let's be honest, did not have what we have. You see, Saul was king material. When they decided they were going to pick him to be king, they're like looking around, I don't know, who should we pick? And then Saul comes walking in the room, and he's head and shoulders above everybody else. And he was good looking, they said. So you have this guy come walking in, and he looks like a king. He's tall, he's handsome, he's jacked, he's been doing CrossFit, he looks amazing, he has like chiseled abs, you know, and, and, and like, yeah, he can, tattoos could make him wave with his muscles. <laughs> but Saul, Saul was defying God's word and what God's will was, and so God was like, I'm, I'm done with this guy. You look the part, but your character's not there. Your beauty is skin deep, but you're ugly clean to the bone. And, and I'm not sure if this is salvageable anymore. Yeah. And so he says, "And I'm, I'm Saul, you're going to be out, and David, you're going to be in." You yeah. see, God sets kings and rulers over us. Yeah. You don't like your ruler? I understand. Sometimes I don't like the people that are in charge of the government either. You know, it doesn't matter even what party they are. There's, I tell you what, there's. Uh, seems like there's bad apples on both sides these days. But you know, we start to look at that. You got to understand that God sets those people into place. Yeah. It's through God's ordination that He sets those people in. And so the Bible doesn't say you have to love them, but it does say you have to honor them, right? You do have to respect them, and you have to, you know, you have to honor the office that they're serving in. You see, so he, so, but, but Saul becomes envious of David. In fact, in Proverbs it says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Saul started rotting from the inside out because of his envy and his jealousy. Because of it. So tranquility is the opposite of envy in this verse. Tranquility is peace. Right. It's sitting next to a calm lake. Little ripples, birds chirping. <laughs> envy is churning water. Unsettled. You disrupt it inside. Especially if somebody can like say one name or one thing, and like inside you get all... Urgh. If it was football season, I would say the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> and even the Cowboys fans are like, <laughs> tranquility is the opposite of envy. You see, envy is not just jealousy. It's a level up. Jealousy is I want what you have. right? And, 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 and there's moments where we're like, I want what that person has. That's a really cool car. I want one of those. And there's a difference between like, oh, that's cool. I want one versus jealousy. that starts to come, oh, I really want one. And then it grows into something called envy. It's the next level. It's not, I just want what you have. It's, I don't think you should have it either. Yeah. When people talk about taking stuff away from other people, it's like, that's envy. When they're like, that person doesn't deserve that. If they, they don't deserve that. Well, they have it. Well, they don't deserve it. We should take it away. That's envy. It's, it's, it's like, fueled through jealousy that has gone to this place to another level. Saul was so wrapped up with envy that his spirit was dis- disturbed and disrupted. This guy was super unsettled. He's chucking spears at the harp player. They were looking for a harp player because they're trying to figure out how to calm him down because he was so disturbed. Put the word on the street, we need the harp player. And you got to be a good one because, you know, we got to calm this dude down. He's freaking out. So they put the word on the street and everybody's like, I heard David's pretty good at the harp. What they just didn't quite understand was David was also the source of his envy. So to have the guy, the source of the envy, coming in to play the harp to be able to calm the guy down from the envy didn't work so well. See, long before he was a giant killer and a warrior and a shepherd, he was a fantastic harp player. What's interesting is we're going to back up just a couple of chapters to chapter 16 and verse 17. See, before David uh, killed Goliath, he actually already, already knew Saul. That wasn't the first time they'd ever met. Uh, in fact, David had already started serving in the palace on a part-time basis. Verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, "'Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me.' One of the young men answered, "'Behold, I have a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is a skilled in playing.'" man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey, laden it with, with bread and, and a skin of wine, and, and a young goat sent them by David and his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. Whenever the harmful spirit of from God was was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. See, this started the season of life for David where he was, he was shepherding, and then he would go and do things for the king. And he'd go back and forth and back and forth, and eventually it's like, hey, we're going full-time, buddy. No more part-time job. i got a full-time job for you. But in that process, David was a privileged position as a king's armor-bearer, but he's also being faithful to the things that are back home. Meanwhile, he's been anointed king, so he knows he's the next one. Talk about humility. Saul was focused on externals, but David was focused on the heart. In response to David's kindness and faithfulness, Saul tried to kill him with a spear. Two times in this past passage, but altogether it was six times he tried to kill him. You know, I I can understand... I bet David was thinking this too. I, I can understand when an animal, animal wants to kill me. When the lion came into the shepherd fold and I had to take out that lion, I, I, I understood why the lion wanted to kill me. Because the lion was a lion. I can understand why the bear wanted to kill me. Well, because the bear was being a bear. And I can understand why the giants from Philistine stood there and said, I'm going to kill you all and burn your bones. Because, well, he was our enemy. What do you do when someone that you love greatly treats you badly? Someone that you've loved and cared for. It's not in my notes, but um, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God. And there's times where we read that and and we think about the armor of God. And um, and, the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and the belt and the shoes. And the, I had the kit when I was a kid, you know. And uh, we played, we fought each other with it. I don't know if it was holy. And, um, but we got the armor of God. And if you read in the armor of God, it's, it's, it's amazing what he's talking about when Paul's writing this letter. And he's talking about the different pieces and how they connect and what they mean and the significance of it. It's in the last section of Ephesians, chapter 6, second half of the chapter. Paul's writing this letter from prison to the church in Ephesus. And it's funny, you can take the, the, what he's saying there, and I think so many times we read that just as a standalone section of verse. But, it, but it's not like Paul had six pages of paper, and he's writing something really important, and he got to page five, and he's like, I don't know what else to write, but I got this extra piece of paper, so I probably should put something down. And he's probably like scratching his head, and some soldier comes walking by guarding it, and he's like, armor. Armor. That'll preach. And he like writes, it, you know, writes it down and, and sends armor. And he's like, Yeah, it's not like it was a bonus section. It's not like it was like, oh, by the way, like Ephesians 2.0. Like, like, it wasn't like, no, no, this was one giant thought and one giant thing that he was teaching on. So, so when you look at the armor of God and, and you back it up a notch and you start looking backwards through Ephesians 6, what comes before that, before the armor? There's a whole section that's talking about um, husbands and wives and parents and kids, and bosses and employees, or owners and slaves, and brothers and sisters. And it starts talking through all the human relationships that we have. And at the very end, he connects it to spiritual warfare, and then he dives into the armor of God. The people who have the ability to hurt you most are the people that you love the most. The people that that you need the armor of God for are actually the people that, that you don't think you need it for. When you go over to your family's house for Thanksgiving, you think, I can leave my armor at the door. I don't need it here. These are people I love. No, the armor of God was made for your Thanksgiving dinner because those are the people that have the ability to hurt you. And you need the armor of God to understand spiritually we are all broken and we need to have protection from one another understanding this, right? You picking up what I'm putting down, right? And so, so when you look at this, how do you handle it when someone you love does something that hurts you? This is what's happening. David loves the king. He's been serving the king. He's, he's all in, 100% invested. And now he starts chucking spears at him. Saul's losing his mind. He wants to kill David. He's upset with David. Why? Because he's just envious of what David's position is. You ever been there? Hanging out with your family, you say something great that happened in your life, and you can see a sibling or a parent or somebody just like roll their eyes, like, oh, gee, I don't know. Or they start being critical and negative. Listen, I'm telling you that what do you do when someone who loves you greatly then treats you badly? Number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. This is a normative part of human nature. Do not be surprised when somebody does it because they have brokenness in them. And sometimes that brokenness comes out in your direction. They're broken on the inside. And and I've learned this. Hurt people will hurt people. They will. When you see somebody lashing out at others, understand that comes from a place of pain in their own heart that's not connected to you. 99% 99% of the time it's connected to something else and it's been festering and they don't know how to get rid of it, and you're the one that happened to just pop that thing open. So David was successful at everything he did. Take care of the sheep? Check. Lead a thousand men in war? Check. Kill giants? Check. Kill animals? Check. Master musician? Check. Like, check, 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 check. Everything he did, like everything this guy's touching is turning to gold. Kings is like freaking out about it. Listen, when you are successful, people are not going to like it. They're not. They're not going to like your success. Some people will. Some people won't. But there will always be somebody who does not like your success. There will be jealousy. There will be envy. People will say, like, who do you think you are? I know where you came from. Yeah, enjoy it while you last. Because you're just going to fall right back down to, to where you started. It's interesting, it's like even in the book of Daniel, when Daniel was successful, his enemies organized as a group to come and try to take him down. You might have people that organize against you in a group to come take you down. Been in office, been in a work environment, and a couple people come together and go, like, I don't like that guy. The more God does in your life, the more enemies will come against you. So don't be surprised when they come against you. Number two, don't be spiteful. Don't be spiteful. Don't have retribution on your mind don't have revenge on your tongue. First Peter says don't return evil for evil. Don't bite back, bless back. When they start to bite, you start to bless. And it disarms them and it prevents you from getting this their poison inside of you. Confucius says this before you go on a journey of revenge, you should dig two graves. For David to kill Saul, he just would have been another Saul. He would have been no different, he would have been no better. In fact, if you look, there were times in, in the story, if you read through it, where David had opportunities to kill Saul. There was one time Saul was asleep in a cave, David stumbled on him, he saw it, he snuck up, he actually cut off a piece of Saul's robe, and then went away, and then from a distance says, yo, bro. I could have killed you. I didn't. I'm not trying to kill you. I promise you. I guaranteed you. I did not try to do that. And Saul's like looking at his robe going, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, and, and like David's like, yeah, sure, buddy, you know. And then another time, a little bit later, there's a different time that Saul was asleep. It says that God calls him to call, fall into a deep slumber, and he was asleep, and he had a spear there and everything else, and, and, and David snuck into his camp. In fact, one of his coworkers uh, was like, put a spear in him, bro. Let's kill him right now. You know, take his spear and put it through him, and it'll be done. One stab, done. Mm. And so they, they go out and he sneaks in and he grabs his spear and his water bottle and he comes out and he, they hike back up onto a mountain like a little bit away on a hill and then whenever he wakes up he's like, he's like I could have killed you again and, and Saul's like I'm so sorry come down here let's be friends David's like "Yeah, I don't know about that I'm not so sure about that for David to kill Saul he would have become Saul that would have been the exact same thing Saul would have done Saul 2.0 living well is your best revenge for the people who are spiteful against you. So live well. Rise above. When they start throwing hate and they're hating on you, when you are living well and you just put a smile on your face and just say, God bless you, and, and move on. It disarms them entirely. They want you to engage. Right? They want you to engage. They want to get into a fight. People do that all the time. Number three, don't become sour. Well, hey, in first one, point one, you said don't be surprised. How do you balance I'm not going to be surprised from anticipating it with I'm now going to be sour and anticipating it? There's a tension there. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't have it all figured out. So how do you factor in a certain amount of bad things without getting jaded? What happens when you're expecting hurt And so it limits your ability to have friendships and relationships. Because if I'm expecting people to hurt me, then my boundaries for them are so far out that we'll never be close. And I, I think our society is plagued with this. I think the biggest miracle that Jesus had is he was over the age of 30 and he had 12 friends. Creating friendships requires intentionality and vulnerability. Number four, don't be stupid. (laughs) I have not had much sleep this week. (laughs) Don't be stupid. Listen, don't be naive. There are tensions in relationships, they're going to be there. You see, David had duck spears. He left the city, he hid in a cave didn't he he didn't just let Saul hurt him if you're in a relationship where people are inflicting pain you don't have to just stand there and be like well I mean what would Jesus do maybe you just stand here and like just take one for the team turn the other cheek no sometimes it's like actual abuse and you need to like duck (laughs) get out of the way maybe get out of the way get out of the area maybe maybe remove yourself from the situation that is 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 in this painful hard situation so don't be stupid. Make sure you're getting out of the way if you need to. What was interesting in the middle of all of this, David never dishonored the king. That king was literally trying to kill him, and he, wasn't disa- and he was not dishonoring to him. He honored him the whole way through. That's something that in our culture right now I think we're missing, right? Like if somebody posts anything on a social media platform, they're about to get roasted royally, no matter who they are. And the higher you go up in authority, the more roasting that you get. Anybody in politics, guess what? You move up in the ladder, you're going to get roasted. You're moving up in your company, VP, president, CEO, you're going to get roasted. It doesn't matter where you move up. The further up you move up into the chain, the more roasting you're going to get. And it's so embedded into our culture. And like everybody just celebrates it all the time. And they're like, yeah, boom, roasted. And like, nobody's mind has ever been changed by a keyboard warrior sitting in his mom's basement, like hacking out angry words. Like, like nobody's ever been changed by that. And, and, and yet we're dumping this, this, this stuff everywhere that we go. It's probably the hardest part for me is during political season, watching people type these kinds of negative, nasty things into comments and, and posting things that are absolutely hideous. And, 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 the, and, and, and politicians do the same thing. They're always hating each other and doing all these crazy negative attack campaigns. And you're just like, ah, oh, this is great. to my soul. Like, there, there's got to be a better way to do it. Don't be stupid. You also don't dishonor the king. He never dishonored that. He set boundaries in place, but he didn't dishonor the guy. Right? He didn't like, disrespect him. He just said no this is in, you know no we're going to put boundaries in place and there's a difference between putting boundaries in place and trashing the other person. He said boundaries if you keep for getting hurt. "So apologize. Come back man. Come back." David's like, "I don't think so. I'm going to set this here and I'm out of here. I'll let you come and get it." He didn't go back. If the band would come, we're going to wrap up. I should have called him a minute ago. The last one is this, is don't stop. If you find yourself in a place where you're being attacked, where, where you, you know that these, these somebody attacking you and they're, they're tearing you down, and, and it's somebody that you love and it's somebody that you care for, and, and listen, don't, don't stop. It, it's easy. I'm guilty of this just as anybody else in the room. It is easy, it is easy to just completely shut the door on this person and walk away. And like just stonewall this. You see this in families a lot. We don't talk to that side of the family anymore because so-and-so said this or that or the other thing. Block wall, complete isolation from that side. Don't stop. Don't do that. Have your boundaries, but don't stop. See, David never had envy or jealousy. You see, if if you are battling envy and jealousy with another person, when they lose, you're rejoicing. And when they win, you're upset about it. Even right now, I, I believe that the Lord is probably stirring up in your mind somebody in your life that if they were to lose, you would be happy and you would rejoice. See, Saul did eventually die. And it says that David wept. He didn't have any 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 envy or jealousy in his heart toward Saul. He didn't have anger. He didn't have he he literally had compassion and grace for Saul when he died. And he even had compassion on Saul's kids in the process. He, he, he loved him even though he was somebody that hurt him. So what do you do? What do you do when someone who loves you greatly treats you badly? Don't be surprised. Don't be spiteful. Don't become sour. Don't be stupid. And don't stop. Will you guys stand with me? just? Let me bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just... We thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. God, and as, and, and as we find ourselves in situations and relationships that can inflict pain into our life, God, help us to navigate this the right way. God, help us to, to handle it the way that, that you would want us to handle it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we believe in the power of prayer. We're praying church. We have prayer teams. In fact, are prayer teams are even gathering now on either side of the stage. If, if you're new here, this is something we do every week. If you need prayer for any reason, we have people that are excited and fired up to pray with you. In the book of James, it says it's the, the prayer of faith that brings healing. And you may not have enough faith for your situation, but we have prayer teams that are so full of faith, they wanna stand with you, in faith, with you, and pray with you for whatever it is that you're dealing with. Part of our prayer teams ahead of time, they're praying and saying, God, what, what would you have us do in the service today? And, uh, and they always come up with a list. They're like, I feel like the Lord's saying these things. And so, so this is the list that they gave me. And, and uh, they believe that someone's struggling with sciatica. Someone has something going on in the right shoulder. Someone's bad, battling celiac disease. There's somebody that's been stuck in grief. God wants to bring healing to that today. Somebody had some kind of an injury to their face. Somebody's battling some schizophrenia. Maybe it's you or a family member or a loved one. Maybe you're struggling with self-image. God wants to heal that in you maybe you're dealing with anxiety at a place that's crippling. God wants to heal that with you. Those are all things that they believe God has told them to be praying for. They've been praying for that leading into this service. And so if if any of those things connect with you, they want to pray with you, and really for anything that you're dealing with, they want to pray with you. So church, let's sing one last song as we're praying for people. God bless you and have a great week.